The following is a presentation of Morning Drive Media. It's a look at the headlines, the great moments, numbers, and the love and nostalgia that makes us baseball fans. This is Box Score Heroes. I'm Cat Napsock, and this is... Well, not the normal power rankings episodes that have been uh, airing on Monday mornings. This is just a little different. First of all, I got I got a bunch of fans going, and the AC might need to get going. Yeah, hot out here in Southern California, and you know, hey, we'll survive. Uh, I know a lot of you out there in parts of the country where it's cold, or parts of the country where heat is just a way of life. It's hit us hard this week, uh, and hey, uh, that's the way life is. It's baseball weather, right? I used to love. Uh, dreaming about how the hell could I play two innings like in the old Bush Stadium in a July game where you could see the heat sizzle off the AstroTurf. Like, could I even have lasted an an inning or two? And, you know, I was pretty damn sure I was going to be a Major League Baseball player when I'd have these thoughts about 12, 13, 14. So I was going to have to get used to it. So doing this podcast in the heat, in the sweaty heat here of Southern California, it's okay. The reason I'm not doing the normal baseball rankings today, a lot of great stuff going on in baseball. The game is, uh, you know, well, the, the season, I should say, not just the game, but the season is is moving along quite nicely. We are already into the stretch run. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. We'll look at the standing, some league leaders there. We'll look at the Blue Jays passing my Yankees for the uh, playoff spot out there in the AL East. And, of course, Tampa Bay still playing good as well we got uh best uh moments if, if you have a moment don't forget you can call into the anchor app for future episodes and leave a message about your favorite moment of the week and eric's going to be calling in in a bit we're just i think we're just gonna have to turn eric's calls into the atlanta braves updates he's a diehard passionate uh, baseball fan but also specifically a atlanta fan and i love eric's calls updating me on the comings and goings down there in atlanta the reason I want to do things a little different is there was uh, two big deaths in baseball this week and then an anniversary, just a watershed moment, one that I lived, one that I watched, one that I felt, one that I cried for, and one that I cheered for. We'll talk about that in a second. Earlier in the week, Tom Terrific, Tom Seaver, passed away, and I just wanted to look back at the life and times of Tom Seaver. Uh, a player that when I started getting into baseball was on the way out. And I do believe in 1987, so he goes uh, from the White Sox to the Red Sox for the stretch run of 1986. He's 41 years old, gets 16 starts for the Red Sox, tosses a complete game, 104 and a third innings, 3.80 ERA, goes 5 and 7. Uh, focusing on the classic stats there. He does K-72, putting him up to 3,640. But flash forward to spring training, 1987. This is when I am really into baseball like I'd never been before. This was one of those, uh, you know, I remember... Uh, 86, 85, uh, it's in the back of my head, but 87, I'm locked in. And I do kind of remember very faintly that Tom Seaver was trying to maybe hang on uh, with the New York Mets in the 1987 spring training, and it's very vague. I just I just remember pictures 
on Sports Center and seeing and hearing him retire. And here I am about 11, 12. This great grand game is opening up in front of me. And I was really inspired by Tom Seaver. Inspired by the name, inspired by his retirement, inspired to go look into who he was and what he meant to the game. I think as baseball fans, especially when you're just getting in, that happens a lot. You love studying the past. We love learning from the past. And Tom, here he was, 41, 42, an age I have surpassed. And he seemed ancient, right? Here I am, 11 or 12. He's throwing a baseball at 41 years. I can't even imagine. I look at him and think, wow, that whippersnapper could have gone a couple more seasons, right? Nah. I loved looking back and learning that that quote-unquote old guy sitting on the bench for Boston in the World Series didn't get into the postseason. Uh, Last time he saw postseason action was 1979 with the Reds. Uh, It was weird for me to realize that that guy, along with, say, Steve Carlton, who was hanging on with the Twins and Indians and and White Sox at the the end and uh, trying to just kind of make a comeback, it's just weird to think that those were the stars of yesteryear, and yesteryear wasn't that far behind. Now it's crazy. Now when I look at the Toronto Blue Jays lineup, as I've talked about before, and see names like Biggio, Guerrero, Bichette, and I'm still remembering my Craig Biggio rookie card, my Dante Bichette rookie card, when he came up with the Angels and I said his last name and thought I was swearing. Uh, The Vlad Guerrero savior of the Expos, the future of the Expos kind of memories I have of him as well. Time, oh, she passes and she passes fast. But when you're 12 years old and opening a pack of baseball cards, uh, the past seems just like that, the past. And here was Tom Seaver riding off into the sunset. And I love looking back and reading about those 1969 Mets. Seaver going 25-7 and in a 2.21 ERA, 208 strikeouts. But he'd go even better than that the next couple seasons. Leading the league with 283 and 289 strikeouts in 70 and 71. He'd lead the league three more times. To me, Seaver was that template for the modern ace. Oh, he started in 67. He was part of ancient history with those miracle Mets to me. But Drysdale and Koufax were retired or winding down during the era in which he was coming up. They were part of that new breed that arrived after the fellers and the scores and all those kind of aces of the 40s and 50s. Whitey Ford, always one of my favorites. Still love that Casey Stengel threw Whitey Ford out there just on the days uh, against the best pitchers. And otherwise, eh, you sit this one out, Whitey. No pitching rotation for Casey. Nothing normal for Casey Stengel. To me, Seaver was my era. He was what an ace was, even though I didn't watch Tom every season in and out growing up. He was what I considered an ace. When the new breed took a step forward, Glavin, Smoltz, Maddox, they immediately come to mind. A little bit after that, Randy Johnson, Schilling, players of that era. Um, That was a new mold, but Seaver was still the one, the type. And yes, Clemens was emerging. Dave Stewart, 
was uh, just a season away from really redefining himself and putting a big exclamation point on many seasons in his career in 1988 for the A's. But it was Seaver that I looked to and said, that's what you want in an ace. Tom, terrific indeed. Dashing in a way. An opposing figure. Seaver wasn't uh, small, 6'1", 195. He wasn't big, bulky Clemens later in life. He wasn't Randy Johnson, but he's an imposing figure. Digging deep, that drive, his knee getting dirty. I love studying everything about him. Tom Seaver was obviously, like all of us, much more than his job, but he was a Hall of Famer, three-time Stout Young Award winner, Rookie of the Year all the way back in 1967 when he went 16-13. and 13. Ah, Yeah, wins and losses are different now, but I love... Uh, when the pitchers, the aces even, would be in just about every ball game. So a win or a loss, you still were going nine. Uh, we talk about that different era often. So we'll see you, Tom. We'll see you down the line. Born in 1944. Almost post-war baseball baby. Tom, for me, someone who didn't watch him year in, out, year in, year out, Tom uh, changed, changed the game for a little getting Epsot collecting cards. It was also one of the first times I understood that these careers are finite. They do go. The heroes that I was rooting for at the time, Don Mattingly, Gary Carter. Well, I was going to say most of the Yankees, but that was a tough team to root for in 87. Ricky Henderson, Mark McGuire, Jose Canseco, Kevin Seitzer, all the can't-miss players, Mark Grace, Will Clark, Biggio as well. All these players coming up in this era right when I was really getting into it. I knew in the back of my head it all could end. Tom Seaver was no longer pitching. A short time later, Mike Schmidt was crying in a post-game press conference announcing his retirement, and I remember that one. Still a great sports reference, but it was one of those moments as a young baseball player that you just were like, oh, wow. They don't play forever. So here's a tip of the cap to Tom Seaver with all the memories he created on the field. A little bit later, Lou Brock passed away. Lou Brock had retired in 1979. Some of you out there listening probably would watch Brock year in, year out. I didn't have that pleasure. Brock was already in the Hall of Fame by the time I really started getting into baseball. He went in, went in, in 1985. Two-time World Series winner, six-time All-Star. He deserved everything um, he earned uh, and, and deserved his place in the Hall of Fame. A lot of bold, italic stats on the back of his card. And I learned about him through the exploits of Ricky Henderson. Yes, and Henderson would swipe third. Uh, what, was that against my Yankees? Velarde on third? Lift up a base and say, once Lou Brock was the greatest, now I am the greatest. Hey, that's Ricky being Ricky, and Ricky wasn't necessarily wrong. But through that, through that era, I got to once again look back and see the career on the back of a baseball card, baseballreference.com and all that kind of stuff didn't really exist, right? You get a baseball almanac. But really, it would be collecting older baseball cards or just reading books 
I had, I had that Time Life series about baseball. I still have those books. Oh, wow. Memories. Lou Brock, even though Mari Wills had set a record before with 105 stolen bases in a season, even though Lou Brock had surpassed Ty Cobb, there are records and there's records made to be broken, right? To me, Lou Brock was the player that changed the game on the base pass. Where receiver was the modern ace, Lou Brock was the modern speedster to me. Vince Coleman, also with the Cardinals, would show up, and he and Tim Raines and Ricky Henderson would swipe bases like uh, no one else. Uh, don't forget that era, too. Eric Davis had a big season. Tony Gwynn had a big stolen base season. And I do love the stolen base. I really do love the stolen base. I always get, I can. I say I always get why the stolen base is on the way out. Yeah, you don't want to cost yourself that out if you're about to hit a big home run. It's a tried and true baseball stat and, and strategy, right? Earl Weaver would always tell you about the uh, three-run home run being pretty darn valuable. Brock came up with the Cubs. 16 stolen bases his first full season, 62, 63. Uh, he would steal 24. Humble beginnings. The Cubs just didn't want to run. They were waiting for the beginning, which was the style at the time. You think of Jackie Robinson disrupting uh, many things on the base pass, stealing home plate against the Yankees. We talked about that last week. But you don't think in that era of stolen bases, speedsters. Mari Wills does come along for the Dodgers. It kind of makes it uh, an art form. But it's Brock that comes along and starts stealing at a high rate, leading the league four times in a row, 66, 67, 68, and 69. 70, he's down a little bit, 51 stolen bases. Then he comes back and leads the league again, 71, 72, 73, and his record-breaking 74 season. It's weird to look back now. I always remembered Blue Brock's 118. And I remembered his 938, his stolen base totals, and his record-breaking season. But it's weird to look back at the stats now and think in, in 1974, he set that mark at 118. He was 35. He would steal some more in 56, 56, and 77. He'd steal 35, 78 at 39 years of age, not playing a lot. Uh, he'd steal 17. And then his final season at 40, in which he hit uh, reached his 3,000th hit. He stole 21 to really kind of establish that record. But that 118 was his last big run. And that, uh, to me, makes it even more impressive. He stole 70 and 73 at 34, and that was a career high. Nope, take it back. 66, 74 was his, his career high previously. But to come back years later, almost 10 years later, after first leading the league in 66, comes back in 74 and sets the record, smashes the record. 118. I was always in awe of that. But now, as I read these stats, I'm in awe of it even more. Lou, it's almost like he decided, this is what I'm going to do before I head on out. I retroactively loved watching Lou Brock play. And if you got a story out there of watching Brock, of watching Seaver, don't let the conversation die. Don't let these baseball legends float away into our memories. Talk about them. Like every generation of baseball, uh, baseball players, you know, these are your players. I learned about Seaver and Brock by looking back, 
just like other people right now are looking back at the players that I grew up watching and I watched them come in the league. And it does something to you. It absolutely does something. If you're a baseball fan, you know what I mean. When that rookie that you watched come on into the big leagues, I think uh, Frank Thomas was one that comes to mind. I remember waiting for Frank Thomas to arrive. And now you see Frank Thomas retired doing a uh, hmm, special pill commercial and sitting around on a set talking about the game he used to play. It kind of messes with your mind. It breaks your heart. I think as baseball fans, there's always that moment. Some of you listening have experienced this time and time again, and some of you, well, you haven't. You're not quite there yet. But when your favorite baseball players start becoming younger than you, that does something to you. That's like phase one. But this is what I actually mean. Then at some point, your favorite baseball players, the one whose rookie card you still have in a shelf uh, sealed away somewhere, uh, they become managers, announcers, general managers, front office, or just drift away, not part of the game anymore. That does something to you. When you look out and you see a baseball manager younger than you, a major league baseball manager younger than you, it makes you take a weird kind of stock of your life. It's a season of change, changing the game. And the final one is when they pass away. I've talked often about Gary Carter passing away well before his time of cancer. That was tough. And now Brock and Seaver, they lived long lives, long careers. So we'll tip our cap indeed. But it does something to a baseball fan. When these timeless, ageless heroes fade away, and in this case, pass away, it tugs on your baseball soul. It's a little hard. It kind of breaks... Breaks you just a little bit. But you can always look back and you always have the memories. Thank you, Lou. Thank you, Tom, for everything you did in Major League Baseball. I also want to talk this week about that anniversary. Cal Ripken Jr. 25 years ago. At the time of this podcast being recorded, it's, uh, as it's released, it'll be a day after. September 6, 1995, little pop-up that Manny Alexander grabs, makes the game official after five. Cal Ripken Jr. breaks Lou Gehrig's record. We talk a lot, and when I say we, I just mean baseball fans and baseball documentaries. We talk a lot about Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire, summer of 98, and just home runs in general in the steroid era, bringing fans back whether we want to admit it or not. And all of that is, is true. And I really do have a very special place, place in my heart for that baseball season in 1998. I truly believe that is when baseball, quote unquote, came back. But I don't ever want to, uh, I don't want to ever take any credit away from Cal Ripken Jr. just showing up to work time in, time out, and breaking a record that we all grew up in that era being told. Yeah, Cal's doing good, but it'll never be broken. That's crazy. It's like DiMaggio's 56. So it's a number that, you know, will never be broken. Um, like at one point, Babe Ruth's 714 and Aaron's uh, 755, right? But numbers in baseball are eventually made to be 
broken. I I still think one day. I think one day we'll see Dimaggio's streak broken. It's it's near impossible. I think Johnny Vandermeer's two consecutive no hitters is more safe. Cy Young's win total definitely now more safe. Fifty six games just seems just reachable enough, right? Someone somewhere. Got to get contact on that ball enough. Well, we'll see. Maybe not. I wouldn't bet on it. Anyways, I remember Ripken's record-setting night so well, as many of you do. And I just think that deserves a lot of credit for being a moment that post-strike got people to pay attention to baseball again. I think following that, the 96 Yankees showing up. Oh, it might be hard for some of you to hear, but I do believe they became America's team for that season. It was a heartwarming story. That helped, too. And, yeah, then it was summer of 98. The summer of the long ball brought everyone back. But I really do think Ripken started to turn the page. He started the healing. 95 was still a strike-affected season. We started that spring training with uh, the lockout. Uh, scab players in training camp. Season was a little shorter. It was still in our minds. It was still fresh. And a lot of people did not want to come back. And a lot of people didn't come back at that time. But here you have Cal Ripken just showing up, doing his job. And I think that helped turn the corner. I love that night. I cried. I remember him breaking the streak in 98, snapping it against my Yankees. But 95 is more vibrant and it's more powerful. A lot of memories there. So as we look back, 25 years, it just seems like yesterday. I had the tape for a while. Somewhere there's a VHS tape of mine that has just uh, the ESPN broadcast that night. Berman on the call, I do believe. I never watched it. And whoever, how many of you taped things on VHS tapes back in the day and ever really did go back and watch it? But I have it. I have it somewhere. Somewhere in a plastic tote in a storage shed, there's a tape with the words Ripken's record on it. If the tape even is still good is a mystery. But anyways, it blew my mind. 25 years ago, Cal Ripken, I just wanted to take a moment to look back and say, thank you, Cal. Thank you for showing up every day. Have we made a documentary just about the streak? As much can tell day in, day out. Even some of the controversies. I don't know. Love to see it. Great article uh, going around on MLB.com about Len Cicada, the guy that uh, Ripken replaced at shortstop for the Orioles. Uh, and then Ryan Miner, the guy who replaced him at third base in 98 in their lives and directions that they went. Check it out if you want. All right, we got uh, Eric checking in with uh, one of his favorite moments of the week. And like I say, I'm joking here, but uh, this has become Braves update. And I'm okay with it. Hey, Ken. So my moment of the week, the Braves are in Fenway Park, which I got to tell you is a ballpark I would love to visit someday. But they're in Fenway Park and Marcel Azuna just became the first National League player to hit three home runs there. They were all bombs. Um, the Braves acquired him in the offseason. They really needed to replace Josh Donaldson's bat, who they lost in the offseason, and they got him. And he was actually a big reason the Braves lost to the Cardinals in the LDS uh, last year, which uh, still hurts. But anyway, um it's not an easy thing to do to hit three home runs. My, my sports hero, my all-time favorite player, Chipper Jones, only did it once in his Hall of Fame career. Um, I would Actually, since they signed Azunia, he has just done nothing but hit. And with the DH, I think, being a thing that is going to stick in the National League, I would love to see the Braves lock him up for a couple of years because they need that bat to protect Freddie. So 
Good job, Marcel. All right. Yeah, Marcel Azunia. I think Eric just made me think, yeah, that's true. DH could stick around, and a player like him could be very valuable to a team like Atlanta. Good stats. He's uh, well over 300. I, I still count that as a, as a stat that I like. OPS at 1.030. Uh, and, yeah, Azunia knows how to hit, man. That 2017 season, he was an all-star, won a gold glove, 15th in the MT, MPV voting. I, I, did I say MPV, like a Mazda van? That's right. That's the car you, I drove on. I uh, learned to drive on a, a Mazda MPV van. Uh, 37 home runs, 124 RBIs in, in 19, excuse me, 2017. Still thinking of the old decades there. He's only 29. Good stat uh, Good stat line going right now. So, yeah, I, Eric, I agree with that. And when you hear, yeah, three home runs, I still love that. And I still love that it's, it's still kind of rare. A lot of games this season have had some uh, folks uh, hitting three uh, three bombs a game, and I'm good with that, uh, but it's a good number. Speaking of Atlanta and uh, home run games, big home run games, I'll always remember Bob Horner, the old uh, uh, stocky first baseman for the Braves, finished up with the Cardinals, hitting four home runs. And speaking of the Cardinals, Mark Witten, uh, a little bit later, mid-'90s, hitting four home runs. Oh, that was amazing to think. And again, I you know, seems th- these days it's, it's possible that it, someone can hit five, um, but it's still hard. It's hard to do it on a video game. It's harder to do it in real life. Good memory, uh, good moment of the week, Eric. Uh, those Braves are looking good. Uh, a quick check of the league leaders and uh, the standings before we get on out of here and kind of a quieter edition here. Yeah. I just kind of wanted to look back at everything. Trey Turner now in the lead uh, batting average uh, baseball wide, MLB wide, not national American uh, 365. Uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. 15 home runs. His 15th was a GIF worthy shot going around the internet. Mike Trout's also got 15 as well. Jose Abreu 40 RBIs for those white Sox. Trevor Story, 11 stolen bases. I think Lou Brock would steal 11 in one week if he was playing right now. Uh, Tatis leading in uh, runs. And then looking at those standings, let's look at those standings. American League East, this is what I was talking about up top. My Yankees, man, you're all rooting against them anyways. What does it matter? 21 and 19. Struggling to stay above 500. That's blowing my mind. Oh, man. Uh, Blue Jays, uh, a game ahead of them in the standings. They got a big series coming up this week in Buffalo. We'll see what goes on there. Tampa Bay, 28-13, looking good there. Central, the White Sox and uh, Cleveland Indians battling things out. 26-15 and 15 for the White Sox. Cleveland, 25-15. and 15. And don't forget the Twins, 25-17. and 17. Big races going on out there in the AL Central. Out West, Oakland, 23-14, still looking good. And, of course, Houston, 21-19, and 19, but three and a half back. Over in the National League, standings going into this week. I mentioned the Braves. The Braves are 24-16. and 16. Phillies behind them at 19 and 17. Uh, but it looks like the Braves got that one. The World Series champs, 14 and 25. Weird season, though. I think if, uh, if it kind of sticks out with them, I don't think Dave Martinez is in danger. It's just it's, it's, it's a weird season to figure it all out. Cubs, 23 and 18. Cubs, that'll be that'll be interesting. See where they're going. And then the Dodgers, 30 and 11. First team. The 30 wins, and then right behind him, five and a half, five and a half back, but a 25 
and 17. The Padres have the second best record in the National League, and uh, that also means they'd be uh, pretty, looking pretty good out there in the American League as well. Big trades. Uh, last week for the Braves, uh, after we released the episode, Clevenger, the big uh, Clevenger trade. Uh, the Padres are going for it, like we keep saying it every week. I'm a fan of, of the Slam Diego Padres. Uh, I'm loving it there. Uh, so uh, that's uh, where we're looking stat-wise as we go into this week. Thanks for letting me just kind of quietly look back on some players and some memories. Uh, that is what fuels our love for this game. It really does. It really does. These are the heroes that we rooted for then and the heroes we have in our hearts now. When they pass away, it definitely it definitely can affect us. What are your memories of Lou Brock, Tom Seaver? Let me know. What are your favorite players and what were your memories of when they finally retired, hung it up, or passed away? Just share those stories, those connective threads that make us baseball fans. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening. You can follow me at Ken Napsack. Go to KenNapsack.com for more information on all the things I do. Or you can follow uh, the uh, Morning Drive Media Twitter handle at MDriveMedia to get updates on all the shows there as well. And follow us, uh, the podcast, at Box Score Heroes. More things coming. It's been a weird season, a weird time to launch a podcast about baseball. A lot going on, but I love just sitting down and reflecting with all of you about this game we love. We'll see you next time here on Box Score Heroes.